Three, two, one. I don't want a big old. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the NoCo Moto Podcast, episode 149. I'm your host, Moto G. Pete. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yep. And we have a surprise guest with us today. We have none other than the legend, Eric Buell. Say hello. Hello out there. This is... This is a big moment for us, Eric. We've we've been yeah. Well, we've been trying to get this recording together for a few weeks, and now it's finally happening. Um, my fault for getting COVID, but um, yeah, let's yeah, shame on you. <laughs> let's, you know, normally I think this is the part of the show where someone would say, you know, uh, you know, Eric from this and that and whatever. But I I feel like you've done so much stuff. If people don't know who you are. It's kind of just shame on them, right? Like, <laughs> just Google it, pause the show, Google it, and then come get back to us because the story's long, the story's epic, and um, yeah. But one thing I have been curious about, and which would be appropriate to bring up now, is uh, how would how would you describe yourself these days, Eric? <laughs> Aged. No, vintage. <laughs> vintage. Yeah, that's all. It doesn't seem right, you know, because partly it doesn't sound like that. But you know, when I you know see the some of the stuff I built, you know, being sold on vintage sites and stuff, it's like, oh god, I guess it is catching up with me. But it's yeah. you know, uh, I I don't know. I I really haven't changed, and I've always been kind of a futurist, and and so. Things that, a lot of stuff has gone by the wayside, but on the other hand, it's probably more exciting for me right now than it's been for a while uh, because of all the changes happening, you know, in transport and stuff. And that, that's, that's kind of fun because I'm really not very much, even though I'm getting vintage and age, my whole thinking style is not where, that way. I don't like, I'm not into collecting vintage stuff so much or anything. I like new stuff. Well, what about vintage guitars? Well, that's a different story. We were talking about that before. I do like Telecasters, but and that's an old guitar. They built the first one in like '49 or '50 or something. That, uh, yeah, and I like tube amps. Okay, but and when it comes to motorcycles and, and vehicles, I, I'm all about the future. I, I'm I'm very similar. You know, we, um, we we were talking earlier. I was saying, uh, yeah, I played I played my guitars through. Uh, well, actually, it's a bit of a cheat. It's it's a um, it's a it's a um, it's it's half solid state and half tube actually my amp. But uh, yeah, no effects, no nothing, just straight clean sound. I don't, I you know the uh, the I guess I use a volume pedal. That's it. That's all. I, yeah, I'm really simple that way. But um, you know, it, I, I've I've been kind of thinking like guitars and. Uh, and bikes, there's there's a lot of overlap there, and I um I know you were talking about this a little bit with uh, with Bruce a few months back on this motorcycle life, but I it kind of occurs to me that guitars and motorcycles are this thing that really they both get kind of wrapped up in your identity, but also they're weirdly this thing that people put to the side 
for a number of years in their life often, and then might come back to later. And I was thinking a lot about why this might be. And I thought, is it, is it something where, you know, going back to like how, how a lot of people like the vintage stuff and everything, if you can't do it exactly the way you, you thought you were going to do it, like, you know, do people, does that cause people to hang it up? Right. Like, um, yeah, like some people have kids and stuff and they, you know, they stop playing gigs with the band and the, well, that shouldn't stop them from playing at home, but somehow it does. Right. Or, or, you know, whatever it is, you, you wreck a certain bike and then you think, Oh, I don't have that bike anymore. And you, you know, people just stop riding. I, I mean, and this, and maybe this will tie into the, the conversation about, you know, like futurism, but I, I don't know. Do, do, do both of them maybe uh, suffer from a bit of uh static thinking <laughs> well I, I don't know I, I you know the thing with you, I think both motorcycles at least for me both motorcycles and music are very very emotional and um, uh, uh, very something that really fires up passions in people you know they really it really gets to your soul like not much else does both of those do that now as a career music's tougher um, and there's no doubt about it um, you know, they're the great players are great. And even some of them have a struggle. Um, it's it just hard to make a living in, in motors, in, in music. And I think that stops things. And, and a lot of times, you know, if you're not independently wealthy, you know, you can't keep up much of a music career when you're, you know, working, you know, half days, which are, means 12 hours as an entrepreneur, you know, they're just, and, you know, you have a family, there just isn't much to it. But I, I basically walked away from music, not because I didn't love music, but I walked away from it because I couldn't handle um, the fact that it was very hard to make a living, to make much money. And at the time, I kind of walked away from it a long time ago. Was it, There was a lot of drugs in it. And uh, not that I'm exactly totally in a, you know, those things. However, it became, uh, but I guess I am, really, because it, they were ruining a lot of people in music the lives of a lot of people in music, guys that I played with, and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And I wanted to get back to something that was more, you know, more, more real and, and, uh, you know, and less, and less twisted by <laughs> bar, bar owners who don't pay you and, uh, and, and hangers on that were trying to convince the, you know, the guitar player to play, you know, to, to smoke whatever they had or something, you know, between the second and third set. And I was a bass player back then. And I was the guy who was trying to keep the band together and get gigs. And it just, it just wasn't fun. So you retreated to the very safe and sensible world of motorcycle racing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if I... <laughs> <laughs> if I was going to crash, it was in my hands. Not anybody else's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think I think that's one of the things that people like know a little bit less about you. What what exactly did you race and what years? Yeah, I, I you know, gosh, I, I started racing like dirt dirt bikes or something after you know I quit music in in the early seventies. I was working in bike shops and I started racing dirt bikes a little bit, and then I got injured and I switched to road racing. But basically. Um, First time I was ever on a racetrack was like 1971, and I really retired in like 82. But I, I didn't have much money, and there was a lot of gaps in there. So the serious time I raced was probably 76 through 79. Um, uh, 
uh, and that's when I, you know, was an expert and I rode, you know, super bikes and formula one bikes, TZ 750s and that stuff. But even then I was really dirt poor, so I couldn't do the whole circuit. Um, uh, and, uh, even though it was much cheaper to race then than it is now. Uh, but you know, racing to me, what I really, I love, I love riding. I love feeling like you're one piece with a bike. I love the freedom of a bike and, and road racing was really wonderful that way. The whole way that you could, you know, go around corners. And then I got good enough that I would get into that space where time slowed down and, and that's pretty addictive. Um, and, and you know, you really want to get, get back there because it, it kind of stretches your capabilities to a level that I don't think a lot of, man, you know, that I was very happy to have the ex chance to experience. And, um, you know, it also was another thing with me was I just wanted to, you know, prove that I could do something and, you know, motorcycle racing is very measurable. You either win or you don't, you know, or you finish first, second. It's not, it's not like you've got somebody, you know, one judge holds up a seven and the other one a five, you know, or the critics for the music, you know, pan you. The answer is it's, you know, you either can do it or you can't. And I, I really liked, I wanted to see what I could do and be able to measure it. Okay. So, um, like I said, we, we don't need to go to like the, yeah, the whole history of, of Buell motorcycles and all of that. Cause you know, it's, <laughs> it's a story that's been told. And again, if, if, if people don't know, just Google it, they'll, there'll be no shortage of things that you'll find about it. Um, <clears throat> but so, so now you're working on, uh, on fuel. What, what is actually your, um, cause I want to clear this up your, your role in that because you know there's all like well eric you know you had buell and then harley took that away and then there's ebr and blah, blah 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 and now everyone says like oh eric buell's got a new company or whatever and uh, what what exactly is your role in it uh my role in it is chief technology officer um the ceo is a guy named uh francois avier attorney and he, he lives in new york he's originally from france um and it's just a small company and I'm kind of head of engineering and uh, he's head of, you know, the finance and stuff. And then we have a couple of, you know, marketing people, salespeople and some very talented, you know, uh, engineers. Um, but it's, you know, that's a small compact company. And I basically said, you know, all I want to do now is, is technology. I want to stay out of the business end of things. Um, you know, we can come up with the funding. I'll come up with the products. That's cool. His name sounds sort of familiar to me. I feel like I, I read that in an article somewhere, like he was working on some sort of bike project with like, it was weird. It had like, like clear glass pieces in the engine or something. I seem to recall yeah. something like that. Oh, yeah. that is the same guy. Yes. It oh, is. wow. Oh, it, his name just triggered in my mind. That was a really funky looking bike. Um, whatever happened with that? Well, that was a real what piece of What's the name of it? Uh, Vanguard. That's it. Vanguard. Yeah. That was a cool bike. And that's um, how I, I met him, actually, was um, it was basically an art project done by, a, you know, an art guy and a designer without an engineering background, but, you know, a very, you know, kind of out-of-the-box thinking guy, but didn't have strong engineering. And they spent a lot of money getting that concept vehicle ready. And it was cool, cool looking. But it was, you know, he wanted to have engineering work done on it to find out how feasible it really was. 
and truly what it would cost to make. And so I and two guys that I had known at Buell and EBR who were very both really good, three of us kind of did a consulting project for him and gave him the bad news um, that it really wasn't feasible. Um, and um, but and then a little bit after that, he was friends with a guy who uh, was building uh, uh, owned a, a company that was building all the Formula E car chassis. Um, a guy named Fred Vasseur, who actually runs the Alfa Romeo Formula One team right now, but he had a company called Spark uh, that was building all these chassis. And they were talking to me and they said, well, you know, maybe electric's the way to go. And I went, hey, I'm in. I said, I've been fighting for electric since, you know, an incredibly long time ago, you know, even inside Harley saying, we need to look at it, you know, now don't be foolish about it, but it's going to come. And I had laid out a bunch of designs. We had fiddled around with it at Buell. I had worked a lot on it at EBR. And I had been noodling around it after EBR uh, just on my own because that was the thing I was interested in. So when he raised that question, I'm like, hey, let's talk. So uh, that led us to have a long discussion about, you know, let's not, you know, do what you did with the prior motorcycle, which is make something that was really wild and cool looking, but, you know, would have been very, very expensive and needed a bunch of redesign. Let's shoot for, you know, a volume market. And I said, you know, at this point in my life is, you know, I've never, this is a funny story. I've sold this before to people, but, you know, um, I'll never be remotely comparable to Soshiro Honda or Enzo Ferrari. But if I was going to be one of those two people, I would have rather been Honda because he made a lot of stuff that made a lot of people, difference in a lot of people's lives. He did really great things and uh, that mattered to a lot of people. You know, and I said, at my age, you know, okay, I built great race bikes. We've gone world superbike. I've proved I can do that. I can do all that. But what are we going to do about saving the planet? As stupid as that sounds, and not, I don't want one date about it, but the answer is maybe not that's all right. Maybe saving motorcycle. Maybe it's just what can we do to bring innovation on you know two wheeled vehicles into this electric world because that's what I've been thinking about doing it and I you know I, I think we could do this um, and and uh, the kind of out of box thinking that I love um, was very hard to sell in the conventional motorcycle world you know it's always well you know if it was it's not cool unless Harley's done it or it's not high tech unless Honda's done it you know and it's man you know a lot of the stuff we tried to do people would. Oh, that's crazy. And it wasn't crazy at all. Um, you know, it was very limited. But in the world of electric, people need solutions and they're not picky yet. I mean, there aren't a bunch of solutions out there. You know, everything's new. So this is like a real opportunity to do things that are radically different. And, um, you know, there's. Anyhow, that's that's what got me obsessed, and I've we've been working on designs and stuff. And all we're making right now is an electric bicycle, which is really a nice one. Um, but what we targeted was the space in between, kind of in between motorcycles and bicycles. So long range heavy duty bicycles and shorter range electric motorcycles, because long range ones don't really make sense because there isn't charging restruct you know structure, and you can't carry enough battery. Uh, you know, to go long distances uh, with a motorcycle. Uh, so you need close together uh, charging structure. So urban kind of bike stuff is what we started working on. So I, I want to talk about this because 
uh, specifically these these bikes here. So uh, the the e bikes, the the fluid, and I, I really like the specs on this. And some to some people, it's it really wows them. To some people, it's kind of like snooze because there's a lot of these e bikes coming out. And yeah. I, I guess the question I want to ask you is: Are you aware that you've basically reinvented the moped? Because I, a big thing we talk about on the show a lot is that we think it's misguided to think you can just replace motorcycles with electric motorcycles. You have to play to the strengths of electric. And there's a lot yeah. of wonderful things that can be made that way. But if you're just trying to replace a gas engine with an electric engine, with an electric motor, well, I, there is an, en- an energy an energy density problem that's really going to be difficult to overcome. And you need to rethink the way you use the vehicle. You need to rethink the the infrastructure for it. And I don't. I just see a lot of people go. Well, you know, I got a Tesla that goes this far and whatever. And you know, people. Everyone keeps saying, "Oh, well, you know, the batteries are going to get better." And it's like, well, are they? I there's a physics problem here. And I love things like this bike because, you know, if like Ducati's got an e-bike, right? And I don't know how fast it goes, but you know, it's like really fast for an e-bike or whatever. And it it doesn't really. It I I don't see how it solves a problem for anybody. Right. It's just a flashy thing. And I, I kind of feel like the one of the big strengths of electric is going to be sort of a, a reinvention of mopeds. Right. A really accessible sort of, like I said, less less Ferrari, more Sochiro Honda, more for the masses, more kind of industrial art for people that really fits into someone's life. Absolutely. I mean, you've nailed it. It's basic. It's the basic, you know, physics problem. You know, it just. Thank you for saying I nailed it, by the way. Uh, like, <laughs> this is a rant I've gone on many times. And I wonder if I'm just a crazy person. <laughs> Sorry, no, keep going. No, you're not crazy at all. It makes me crazy that, that a lot of money gets poured into projects that, you know, the basic physics says won't, aren't going to work. And it, you just shake your head and go, ah, oh, well, you know, it's not my money. But. Fundamentally, when I look at it and I go, I go, you know, electric really can be a solution. And sooner or later, we're going to run out of dinosaurs. You know, if you're not into global warming or worried about that, the answer is, you know, electric can be supplied from, you know, from so many sources um, and, you know, more to come. Uh, but there aren't going to be more any dinosaurs. And then when you go and process it, you know, uh, you know, can you make you know, fake gasoline, if you take electricity and then you turn it and you, you know, put stuff together and mix the chemicals together and you make, well, there's probably waste in every one of those steps. So fundamentally, you know, solar energy beamed into a, you know, beamed straight down and fed into the, into the you know, the uh, charging network and into your vehicle is probably a pretty good, you know, um, solution, but the vehicle has to work. And, and you're right, the energy density thing you just it's, it's you know gasoline has seven times as much energy density as a battery so you know if you're carrying you know 30 35 pounds you know five gallons worth of gasoline at whatever close to seven pounds a gallon it's a little less than that but then you know you need seven times that much to get the same amount of energy well that's just not feasible and and 
the other thing is the energy burn is cubic with speed, which again, a lot of people don't know, but people who are right. W speed, know. you square your air resistance. It's, it's diminishing returns. Yeah. So, you know, fundamentally and a motorcycle is dirtier than a Tesla. The CDA is worse. I mean, motorcycles dirty, dirty aerodynamically. They just are. And so if you're zooming down the highway and you're at, you know, 90 miles and you know, that aerodynamic thing just starts increasing the speed. So if you're zipping down the highway in Oklahoma at 80 mile an hour with the speed, whatever the speed limit is, or no, let's go 10 over, you're going to burn through the battery. You know, you're going to burn through, you know, 35 pounds, you know, worth of batteries energy in about 12 miles. Do you think streamliners could, could solve a, a bit of this? It's only a little bit. You know, it's still a density problem and, and it's a weight problem. So fundamentally, if a Tesla SUV, you know, weighs 6,500 pounds and somebody else's weighs 5,000 pounds, when you climb into it, you're never going to know because the electric motor is powerful. The torque's through the roof. That thing's just going to go like a bullet, right? But you, and with 1,500 pounds more battery, you know, you can get some range. You can't put that on a motorcycle and ride it. You can't. It's unrideable. You put even put 300 pounds or 400 pounds more battery. You're screwed. So again, our battery's going to get better. Yeah, but not super fast because there's a, tons of money being thrown at it for the last decade. And you know the improvement is pretty much as they forecasted, which is you know there's no giant breakthrough to change it. So fundamentally, you go okay, stop. Why don't we replace vehicles that are not clean? with clean vehicles where it works, where you're not just doing it, spending the money to make a green statement and have a product that's really not as good. What if you had a better product than what you could get with gasoline? Oh, by the way, you replaced gasoline uh, powered internal combustion with, you know, an electric vehicle. And that's what I'm obsessed about it. And it does wind up being in the kind of moped category, light motorcycles, scooters, those sorts of things. But then, the, then you have to look at it and the worst thing you can do is say, I'm going to take a conventional vehicle and I'll pull the engine out and I'll put in an pull a gasoline engine out and I'll put an electric engine in. And then I'm going to take the gasoline, the tank out, and I'm going to put batteries in its place. That makes no sense because there's so much on a vehicle that has evolved around the complexity of what you need to do with an internal combustion vehicle. But if you just start out and say, I need two wheels, I need an electric motor and I need batteries. Now let's look at the physics of those things and let's connect them together. It becomes a whole different story and it takes you in different design direction or it allows you to go in different design directions that are really efficient. Is that, Sorry if I'm babbling too much, but this is... No, no, it's great. It's great. This stuff. Yeah, I actually had a question about that. Is that why you've gone with the, the hub motor instead of just a traditional uh, final drive? No, no, the fluid has a has a motor like in between the pedals. It's um, Well, I'm talking about the flow. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, the fluid is very conventional uh, because we wanted to get a product out very quickly. So we couldn't do too much radical on it. What we did do is say, let's put you know, very high quality parts on it. Let's make it durable. Um, it'll go 28 miles an hour, which is not insignificant speed. And for a long time, it hit big potholes. So let's build it more. You know, Let's make sure that it's structurally sound. That'll last for a long time. And let's put enough batteries in it you know, for range and a belt drive and that kind of stuff. But let's just get it out into production. Uh, the next generation bicycles that are coming in the future are going to be more radically, um, you know, different. Uh, but the motorcycle, 
uh, because it wasn't going to happen right away. We were able to do the innovative stuff on it. And as you saw, it does have a mo hub motor for a very good reason is I don't, you know, um, I don't want to have a drive system if I don't have to. I don't want to have a belt, a chain, or a 90-degree, you know, directional changing device and then a belt on top of like a like the Harley, for God's sakes. You know, why can't we just drive the wheel? Because, you know, a, you know, a electric motor can make a huge amount of torque at very low RPM. So you don't need a bunch of gear reduction. And there are electric motors that do better with gear reduction, but then there are ones that aren't. So again, it's, you know, you pick your, pick your battles. But what it gives me is, is room for buckets of battery and storage on the vehicle. Um, and um, I want all the electronic stuff on the vehicle hidden because we're running high voltage. And I want to run more high, higher and higher voltage because you can charge faster. And again, that's a big deal. So fast charging is a huge deal in making this stuff usable. So, you know, you could drive somewhere and you don't have to park for six hours, you know, to charge it, um, you know, or overnight. You know, that works in some situations. But, you know, when you start going more into the motorcycle world, the answer is, okay, how am I, I'm going to charge this fast. So as charging stations with higher voltage uh, are showing up, you know, we want to be able to take advantage for that. So there's a lot of things in the design that relate to, you know, how would you design something if it's going to have 900 volts, 1,000 volts? Uh, you've got to design it differently. Uh, you don't want the power wise, wires hanging off the outside, swooping around, even though they look, they look spiffy and cool. I because love they're really, they're really, they're really nasty things. You want to yeah. be in the I, way. I, I love that the flow has a really satisfying um, electric motorcycle look to it. Uh, I, there's something like when you look at it that you have, there's no way to not know that it's an electric bike. It, it just has that sort of future look about it too, but it also, you know, looks enough like a traditional motorcycle. I don't know. There's something very satisfying about, about the look of this machine. Um, but more, more, uh, my, my, well, one of my biggest questions about it is because, um, Swigs and I are constantly obsessed with integrated storage on bikes. Does this have a frunk? Like is is there <laughs> is there storage in the in the the tank area or whatever? Oh yeah, I mean that's that's part of what drove it is. I Thank wanted you. more capacity, more capacity than a scooter, uh, but in a thing that looked like a, and you know again it looks like an electric motorcycle. Uh, but it doesn't look like a super bike. So thank you. I'm glad you like it. A lot of people really like it. And we went through like 47 designs while we were working through this because we were really struggling with that is, you know, it needs to look like an electric bike, but that doesn't mean it needs to have an electric motor showing or it needs to have cables hanging over the place. It needs to be, it needs to look like an Apple watch. It needs to be sleek, and smooth and modern and yeah, it looks like a motorcycle, but clearly it's not a motorcycle you've seen before. And it doesn't need wings and scoops and vast air intakes and all these stylish crap that go along with, you know, internal combustion bikes, and which sometimes were needed there. And that's what a GP bike has. Well, this bike doesn't need that. So don't put them on it. And I, I wanted it to appeal to, uh, to be really sexy to people who, you know, may not like internal combustion, who may be green-minded and, you know, what would make appeal to them. Um, and then the other thing was I want, wanted this large storage capacity and I wanted the weight of the battery slammed down on the bottom, filling as low as, as you can. So that's what this is all about. And it's, that is your it's all magnesium castings. Yep. 
And it's all magnesium, magnesium die castings and shit. So it can be made in volume um, really well. And magnesium is, is a greener metal than many. And, um, and also um, magnesium is a fantastic um, uh, uh, suppressor of uh, electronic signals. I'm kind of, sorry, I'm in the music room. So my brain has gone into mush. So, uh, <laughs> God, anyhow, the signals he sent off for a vehicle that, you know, can open a garage door when you go by. Anyhow, there's a whole set of tests you have to do for that to prevent it. Well, magnesium happens to be a good, and if you've got an electric vehicle, that's a big, you know, it, it can do a lot of that. Um, so magnesium is a good suppressor for that, to wrap it all in magnesium. And of course, it's light. Anyhow, it's a sweet bike. God, the thing feels fantastic. It's very, it's, it's pretty light to begin with, but with the weight so low, it feels crazy light. It feels like a 125. Isn't, wasn't it, um, isn't it, I, I can't remember. I, I should have looked it up before we did this recording, but the top speed's not that high, but the zero to 60 is incredible or something like that. Yeah. And that relates to two things, you know, what electric motors are good for and what and batteries and what they're not good for, um, which is again, top speed, cubic burn of energy away and, and get disappointed. Or, but then the duty cycle is, do you want something, if you're in the city or in the suburbs or commuting, do you want something that'll accelerate quickly to get on an on-ramp, you know, to zip away from the stoplight and clear away from the rest of traffic? Heck yeah. And, you know, where you can have fun, that's fun. That doesn't burn a lot of battery because even at max, you know, at, max, at that acceleration rate, <laughs> it only takes a couple of seconds and it's at top speed. So, you you know, you're not burning energy down very fast, but you're getting a huge amount of fun out of it. Um, so it's practical, uh, yet sexy, but, you know, and very fun, uh, great handling. One of the things we did when we, we had a little pop-up store that we were showing the bike and, and the flow at in New York City, and we just did that for a few days, but we brought in a Ducati club, like the Ducati Club of New York City or something, and then a Harley riders and hog group from New York city on separate nights, of course. Um, and both groups loved it. And they, both of them said, well, the Harley guys said, well, it isn't some damn, you know, rice rocket damn thing, you know, but it's cool. And, you know, the design here in America is really practical. And, and I, I get that, you know, and that storage, yeah, I could hike or hike and haul it you know, 12 pack of beer or my tools. And yeah, this is cool. And then the Ducati guy said, this is really sexy looking and it, it's cool and it, it's not going to be hot, but it still looks sporty for me, you know? And, you know, I'm definitely going to keep my, you know, whatever model, 1298 Ducati, super duper. And, and, but I'll have this and this is what I'll ride every day. You know, and the Harley guy said, yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll go with my hog riding buddies on the weekend. And, you know, we'll have a wonderful time, but I commute into the city or for work, I could really use this. And uh, I went, yippee. <laughs> All I got to do is get the doggone thing built because I think it'll sell like crazy. So that's what we're working on now. Well, it's a third. The and then there's a lot of products. electric, so. Oh, yeah. And and part of that is, you know, if you can design, you, you design design it to be electric only and you design, you know, one part, each part to do two or three jobs. And you really, you know, if you think out of the box, it winds up being very simple and doesn't have a ton of parts. Yeah. Some of the parts are expensive, 
but there are not very many of them. And expensive parts do a lot of things, you know, and replace other parts. So, uh, you know, it's really, you know, very feasible right now, today's battery prices, you know, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's very doable. And so those are kind of the bookends of what we wanted to do in the short, in the short run, the next, you know, 10 years or whatever is fill that space between bicycles and, you know, a kind of sporty suburb to urban bike, but to replace, for example, you know, to replace a lot of the, yeah, there were like 61 million new motorcycles sold three years ago, motorcycles and scooters, not bicycles globally. Almost all those are in Asia, now starting to be Africa and South America that are used everyday transportation. The, you know, if you want to make a greener planet, let's replace those. And that's what I'm looking for is something yeah. beyond that. Now, the, uh, well, I was going to say the, um, you know, the, we, in our last episode, we were talking, well, there's us and uh, another show kind of had a little bit of a debate of, well, sort of, there's, there was somewhat of an argument over what's better, the, uh, the super cub or the, or the trail 90. Right. And we're, and our opinion was like, oh no, screw you. It's the super cub. Like economies are based on the super cup, like, you know, empires fought and lost over, you know, the, the super cup, but because it's just the best selling motor vehicle in the world, entire lifestyles are based around it. And, and, you know, what, what is the, the sort of electric version of that vehicle? That's sort of what we're looking for. Cause it's a wonderful thing, but it's time is coming to an end. For sure, or it exactly, will, it or, or oh, I should it say, will. its time needs to come to an end. Well, you know, for example, you're you're so <laughs> you're so right about you know entire economies built on them. You know, we did a lot of work with Hero, um, who are the biggest manufacturer in the world. I mean, they I think it's up to almost ten million units a year now, um, just from that one company. Most of them sold in India, right? Um, yeah. And India is trying to go all electric now. The reality is when we have these discussions, why do they sell 10 million of these things in India? Because it is what the country runs on. That is what the majority of the people in the country ride. They use them for work, they use them for commuting, they use them for everything. And then people joke, oh, you know, they, yeah, there's six people on them and two chickens. Okay, yeah, and that's no joke because before that, that country is a whole bunch of little countries in many, many languages. And, one of the great things is all of a sudden commerce started in between towns and they don't have highways. Oh yeah. You can put some railroads in, you know, between Mumbai and Delhi and Delhi and everywhere along the way on one straight line. What does that do for all the rest of the countryside? Nothing. The only thing that fixed it was motorcycles and that turned the economy of that country around. And it's doing some of that in Africa now and it's done it in other places, but that's a 1950s design by Shushira. And God bless him. It's the greatest selling, you know, internal combustion engine of all time. You know, makes a Volkswagen pale in comparison. Yeah, Honda can't even make but enough. But it's time of them. they have to have help making them. It's yeah. Nuts. Uh, well, uh, the thing is, if I, I, um, you know, I think I think the future of electric kind of starts with with e-bikes, but for a, an entirely different reason than most people think. Like right now, e-bikes are kind of getting this reputation as something that uh, San Francisco tech startup types like to be seen riding around, you know, and they do 35 miles an hour. And I don't know why, 
I, you know, they, and they're all proud that they're, you know, five, six, $8,000. It's like, where's the $900 version that is going to enable people to get to work and where are the leg shields on it? So you could ride it in business attire and not have to worry about mud and things kicked up from the road and you know, all those things. Because once you get a really strong, feasible scooter design, then that starts building electric infrastructure you start getting charging spaces for all of those, and that lets the whole thing build up. And r- right now, we're still in like kind of an early adopter phase. Um, yeah, and and truly, no, you're you're really, and a lot of it is people still don't understand, you know, what two wheelers do in the world. You know, we in the U in the U.S. motorcycles are either you know the Harley guys or the Ducati guys, right? You know, and and but it's all recreation. Um, you know, and I want to build vocational motorcycles, not recreational ones. Yes. Because that's what most of the world runs on. And, 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 you know, bicycles are not motorcycles. Bicycles existed in India, but that didn't turn the country around. Motorcycles did. And the reason is you need more capacity. You need some more speed. You need more durability. You need the ability to carry, you know, two or three people. You need all these things. You on the other hand, bicycles power, are a different yeah. story. You need more horsepower. But on the other hand, bicycles should not have that because bicycles should be ridden in the city on bike-only bike trails where a lot of times it's not 28 miles an hour. It's only 20. They're limited to that. And um, and that's a good thing because there's just too much traffic to go faster. But you know, we're just starting to get the urban thing in San Francisco that the people in Amsterdam and Paris and everywhere else gotten years ago. But that's still not the big picture of two-wheelers because the big picture is the area that we're working in. And that's what, you know, I want to, you know, want to be involved in. And that's why when we build a bicycle, they're like, well, why don't you build a, you know, a little bike with a smaller battery and cheaper? I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to do another bicycle that's smaller than we have one. I want to do bicycles that have more battery capacity because I want to do long range bikes. I ride bicycle bicycles, regular pedal bikes a lot. Um, and, you know, God bless people who add a battery, you know, they have 200 watts of battery on a little motor to help them boost them, you know, when they're getting older and stuff. And that's good. But that's not really fixing anything green on the planet. Because you're basically replacing a pedal bike with some lithium ion batteries, which take power to charge them, which is not a very green thing, actually. You'd be riding a regular bike. But you can't go, like, for example, last year, I went across Wisconsin in two and a half days on my bike. Um, bike packing with my tent and all that crap and on a, on a, on a fluid. Um, I carried a couple spare batteries and on I got, you know, 90 miles a day, 90 miles with a fully loaded bike packing bike is a long damn ride. And I could not do it on my regular bike, not a chance, you know, but I wanted to make the point. And what I did is ride from park to park and I rented a bike, a, 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 an RV site and charged my batteries at the RV site by my tent. And went the next morning. So I didn't have to go to a hotel or anything. I said, you know, I could probably ride across the country. I just don't have enough time to do it um, available to me, you know, on a long range e-bike. And that's with a kilowatt hour. That's what we have, which is a lot. Two 500 batteries. And I carried two spares with me, which I only needed one of them a day, a little bit of one each day. But I wasn't sure. Um, But, you know, could I do a bicycle with, you know, 1.5 kilowatt? Yes. Two? Yeah. If I get the weight low enough, it won't be that heavy. And it starts becoming, and yeah, maybe the speed will be limited to 28, 
but you could ride with pull, carrying a lot of gear with you. And again, it's a step towards the motorcycle world and, you know, more horsepower where it's legal. The second thing that we're working on, which is going to show up, sorry, um, I just lost my headphones, um, which I'm listening to. It's cool. Um, okay. Sorry. The second thing that's a huge thing uh, yep. for me is, is, is safety. And so this sometime later this year, I'm not sure when we're going to show it. We're going to show uh, you know, a bicycle with a lot of safety stuff on it, which is also going to spill into the, uh, uh, the motorcycle world. Because that's a big deal, again, for commuting. And I know there are people who go, oh, I don't want to, you know, part of why I ride is, you know, the risk. And I get that. I've been there. But, you know, most of the people in the world don't want to live that way. And, and you know, they'd like to be safer. And, you know, the cities who want to put two-wheelers in are really worried about safety. How can that happen? You know, how can we make that happen? And, you know, uh, you know, if you go, so, so we've got some really cool, really cool and affordable stuff coming uh, for safety. I, I, uh, on, on that point of the safety, when, when I talk to people about electric, they, you know, th there's people who are all in just because it's new and there are people who are all in because of environment. And then there are people who are against it because they see it as a threat to the bikes they already have that they love. And, and then there's also this weird area where people aren't sure about electric vehicles and the safety factor. And something lately that I've been trying to stress with people is, no, 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 no. Electric bikes are almost as important in my life for, you know, the environmental reason and everything else is it's, it's actually the only thing that's going to save gasoline motorcycles, right? Internal combustion engines. If we can get all of our mundane transportation over to electric, then the impact of how much people will still be riding internal combustion can be negligible, right? We can, we can oh, ride sure. these old bikes into the future and guess what? Gas will be super cheap because no one's using it. It'll be fine, right? Investing in this electric future is what will actually save all the classic motorcycles. So there's one. Two, uh, as far as the safety factor goes, every day I'm absolutely just blown away that we're not moving forward with the self-driving cars, with all the sensors and everything, because that is what's going to make two wheels so much safer. When, huh. when every, when, forget the driver, when the car's computer is sensing that you're there and it's talking to your electric bike and it's managing the gap and all of that, this is going to, uh, motorcycles aren't going to be seen as all that dangerous. It blows my mind that we're not really pushing forward with all this vehicle, vehicle, vehicle to vehicle communication stuff because that's what that's the really the key piece. Oh, I don't, it frustrates me. But <laughs> I, I, man, you guys, I, you you, you guys, it's, this is really fun because you guys are really in the you know in the same place I am. I just had you know I've had discussions with guys who were saying you know. Oh, these autonomous cars are so awful. You know, that's, you know, driving is going to be taken away and we'll never, you know, we're not going to be allowed to ride motorcycles again. And these autonomous vehicles will, you know, squash us on the motorcycle. And I'm like, no, they're the best thing that can ever happen. I just drove 
an RV across the U.S. and back because my wife didn't want to fly, and I don't. I hated flying anyhow, so that's good for my daughter's wedding out in San Diego. And up in an RV, you know, which is it's just one of those, you know, econolines with a box on the back. But you're up high enough, and you're driving across the country. And I'm looking down into cars that would pass me, you know, and I you you could not imagine. Well, you probably can't, but I don't know that most people would could really imagine how many people are on their phone and texting, driving down the interstate, passing me in my motorhome. And they are have both thumbs, they have their knee on the steering wheel and both thumbs texting and looking at the screen. And I just going, please bring me autonomous cars and get these freaking morons from behind the wheel. Yes, I, I desperately want every person who is not interested in driving to have the option to stop driving. Yay, yes. And then those of us who love to drive will be way safer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to mention the fact that, like, that, you know, that can be what, – what if uh, all the stupid meetings you have in your job every day could be done on your commute to work? What if you punched in the moment you left your driveway and by the time you actually got to work, all the bullshit meetings had already been done? Uh, just that, <laughs> right? Just that. I, I don't. I don't know why we're not fighting for this. Because you know, I, I think it kind of starts with something like um, I, we've talked about this on the show, and and I don't know. This has to be. I would imagine this is the kind of stuff that's that's discussed in in your world. Like you know how how do you start implementing uh, uh, the infrastructure for all of this? Because it's you know uh, electric bikes kind of have to move into a system simultaneously with electric cars. And I think it kind of starts with, uh, okay, let's take these super, super dense areas like the center of London where we've already established things like congestion um, charge and, and all of that and, and restrictions on who can drive there and, and when and why and all of that because it's just the whole thing will just grind to a halt otherwise and say, okay, during these hours, we've got these lanes that are just for, you know, vehicles with um, just say just if you just start with vehicles that can um, manage a gap right? Uh, auto braking and, and all of that and slowly expand it out. And I don't know, maybe even come up with a kit to, to retrofit some vehicles with the ability to do it. And, you know, announce in five years, these lanes will just be for these cars that have these abilities, yeah. you know, in these congested areas at these times, and then slowly expand that at a rate that people can deal with. Cause you can't have someone that just bought a brand new F-150 and be like, Nope, no good anymore. Right. You have to give them an option, but oh, there's so many angles to this, but yeah, the, the, the self-driving is what's going to make us safer. And I, it just frustrates me that we, cause we have the technology. It already works. Mm. Well, it's trying to, you know, there's, you know, the economics of things and how there, there's just a lot, a lot going on. But on the other hand, like I said, what's exciting to me is, there's so much opportunity and this change is going to come it's hard to describe when it is for those who want change happen quickly. It's probably going to still be frustrating, but it's going to happen. It has to happen. And, you know, the things that should happen is, you know, if I, just hopefully, you know, as we can make bikes safer, people will drive less cars, you know, and even an electric car, 
you know, if it weighs 7,000 pounds, it, that was 7,000 pounds worth, and some of them do, 6,500 pounds worth of material being processed to haul one person down the road. You know, it had to be mined, melted, you know, cast, machined, stamped, painted, whatever you want to say, you know, all those pieces just doesn't make sense to me. So some of the things happen in the European cities where they're just banning cars, end of story, you know. Um, and um, because there isn't room for them to get in, it's probably a good thing. And, you know, it would be better if there were choices and people would make those choices themselves and just go, good grief, what am I doing? And one of the things that will help that is if you have really rational, modern, green things at work and if we have more safety and every little bit we can, you know, make two wheels a little more safe, the better off it is. And the other piece that matters to me a lot, and, you know, hopefully I'm trying to, I'm hoping to be part of what started the trend and it'll take a while to get there, but, you know, um, you know, an expensive autonomous, you know, car with all these protections and the thing is not affordable by people who, for people who don't have much money, but a two wheeler with safety things is, and that matters more to me. Um, I, I, you know, whether they're in Asia or whether they're, you know, in, in a bad area of L.A. or Chicago yeah. where they live, what, what do we need to do for them? We could do something for them with two wheelers. And yeah. if the answer is, oh, let, let them ride trains. You know what? You know, whoever said that, you sound like Marie Antoinette. Kiss my ass. Right. You know, let them have their own per have personal transportation that's green and affordable and, you know, unsafe. And we could do that for them. You know, we can do stuff like that. We just stop thinking of. We got we to stop thinking like Enzo Ferrari and think like Shoshiro. So kind of somewhat along those lines, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's kind of two different directions I think a lot of people can take, you know, when it comes to, you know, reducing emissions and being greener just in, in your lifestyle. Um, you know, for some people it's, you know, use less, live in a smaller place, be in a dense urban area, use public transportation. And it's kind of more like live more cramped and own less things. But there's also kind of another philosophy of, well, you should own and be responsible for, for your things and own and be responsible and manage, you know, either some land or some property. And, you know, it's when you look at say, you know, how much of our stuff in our lives is disposable these days? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people who in the last 20 years have gotten through 10 computers or, you know, 10 laptops and, you know, three iPads and four phones. You know, how, you know, in terms of, you know, and I don't think anyone's really thought about, you know, publicly, like, you know, what is, what is an electric bike What's an electric bike made today doing 20 or 30 years from now? Is that still on the road? How many battery swaps has it been through? Like how, how maintainable is that? Yeah, that's a, uh, that, that is indeed is a big deal. And it's something I've thought about a lot. And, uh, you know, I think it should be a major part of something. I think that whole thing of it, and, and it, you know, one of the things that set it off is, is, you know, looking at that scooter frenzy that went on, you know, the foot the electric powered foot scooter replacements that were everywhere. I don't know what they are. There's a green ones. That the bird scooters. scooters. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's lime scooters and they're scattered all over the sidewalks and thrown into the rivers and all that kind of crap. Yeah, and, and it just trash. Made me, you know, the answer is that, that, that there, there was probably, I mean, that was an extremely ungreen thing that people touted as being green, but they didn't, you know, think past the end of their nose. The answer is, you know, that, that those things are just, you know, landfills with, you know, with, with lithium, which is not a good thing to have in landfills. Dear God, stop. So I think the whole thing of batteries and, you know, where they're going to go and stuff um, is a huge deal. And, you know, perhaps one of the solutions, one of the ones we've talked about a lot, is one of the solutions is going to be, um, you know, lease them. Lease the vehicles when they come back. Um, you, you know, you sell them, but on the other hand, maybe you lease the battery pack and they get an updated battery pack. But why can't we buy the vehicles back as a manufacturer and then update them and sell them as refurbished? And when they get four years old, but they still work well, but they're not cool enough for London or, you know, L.A. or Denver, they'd probably be pretty cool in Mumbai or they'd be pretty cool in, you know, uh, Mexico City. And so why not keep reusing those things and recycling them? And the batteries that no longer, they can hold a charge, but they don't, they can't deal with up and down charging pace of, of daily use in a bike, but they still have some value. Then they go into power walls. They go into, you know, long-term storage devices. Um, there, there is a whole lot that somebody would, if people would just stop and look at the big picture. Um, there's a whole lot of, Stupid shit going on. I'm sorry. <laughs> going on that you just go, come on. You no, know? this is great. This Think is exactly bigger. why we want to talk to you. There, there's That's, You've got skin in the game, yeah. right? A lot of people go, oh, these batteries are going to get better and better every year. And they're just kind of repeating things that, that that get thrown around the internet. Like you have skin in the game. You You live and breathe this every day. This is why we're so excited to talk to you. Uh, you know, that well, one uh, of the things that, ahead. you know, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, some, you were talking a little bit ago about the the geography of this. And just again, actually, you know, moving these bikes to Mumbai and um, and Mexico City and, and whatever. And I did a lot of thinking recently about why some cultures do two wheels better than others. And I've I, I I don't know. This isn't one hundred percent, but everyone I've everyone that I've told to this was has been really impressed by this. The, um, there are two factors that I've been able to identify in a society where two wheeled use will skyrocket. One, the roads don't freeze over like ice over. Two, rain is an accepted fact of life. Right. It's like in the U S we know rain exists, but you know, we don't deal with it, right? We stay inside or we cancel our plans or we drive in cars. Right. You know, but like, you know, it's, it's not particularly warm in the UK, but it doesn't really snow that much. Right. And rain Mm -hmm. is so constant. People deal with it as a fact of life. So temperature isn't even one of them. People think, Oh yeah, well, Malaysia is like, it's warm all the time. Of course you can ride a motorcycle. Yeah. But it also rains almost every freaking day. Right. And people just deal with it as a part of life. They just accept it. Right. And it, but you know, whether or not the roads are going to freeze, that's something that's going to, you know, severely limit your ability to use a bike, right? Motorcycles, not so popular in Russia where there's a lot of, you know, it's really cold and there's a lot of snow and ice and things around. Right. But, um, 
but you know something you can change or adopt is this 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 uh accepting rain as a fact of life so i i don't know just just something to throw out there i i see that as the only variable in which you can really you know coax people into more two wheel usage well i you know not well, not so much know, as like for recreation but for you know f- making your life function for for commuting for for practical purposes yeah and i don't know when it you know will happen in the us um uh, uh we're we're pretty spoiled uh which is you know we're very fortunate that way but sometimes we take it to an excess and uh you know i think the younger generations a little more aware of that um and, um, you know, they're going to make some silly choices, too. Probably we all have um, of how to do it. But I think it head in the right direction. Yeah. You know, I've had people say, oh, you know, we should people should just live in their apartment and we'll just, you know, talk to everybody over the Internet. and We'll work over the Internet. We'll just never leave our apartments. And I'm like, that's a pretty horrifying life to me. It may sound kind of green right now, but I think if you're five years into that, you're going to be, you know, the, the suicide level will be really high. So not to make light of that at all. Um, that's not a very nice life. And and I, so part of it is, you know, accepting the fact that, you know, you can't float around on a golden, golden cloud forever um, and that you have responsibilities. And, you know, one of the responsibilities is to make the planet better. You get what once in a while? That's probably a worthwhile one to do. And I think a lot of people would, would accept that. And, you know, you're right. We're not going to fix Russia. You know, we're never going to have the greatest sales of, you know, everyday use two wheelers, um, you know, uh, in, in the in the far north or the far south, although there's not much country far south. Uh, but but on the other hand, that's not a whole lot of population. And a lot of those peoples in those area will drive something warm in the winter. But when the summer comes, they're on two wheels. Um, and so even if you get them five months of the year into something that's more green and economical, the better. But I'm willing to bet, and, and I literally don't know the numbers, but I'm willing to bet there's a gigantic proportion of the world's population that live in areas where you could ride all year round. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, take like Florida. Like, why, why, why aren't people, yeah, riding scooters everywhere in Florida? It's, it's a culture issue more than... You know, there's no real barrier to it. No. Right. And I think as, as it becomes cool and safer again, because you know, there's a lot of we just got to thin out those, you know, giant SUVs with people driving them while they're texting. Yeah. OK, I, I've got some questions about like the actual design of electric vehicles these days, because it seems that there's enough of them you know, coming over from China and being rebranded 10 different ways and they just change out the bodywork. And now we've got major manufacturers coming out with electric models. And there's a, there's a few different uh, kind of themes emerging, right? Some, some put them like um, zero puts the motor where the engine used to be, for example. Right. And, and you've got a hub motor, um, uh, an electric vehicle we're really big fans of is the, uh, the Ubco two by two. Uh, which is a hub motor front and back, and I'm kind. Of, I, we were talking like, is there, um, you know, versus for for these these hub wheel motors, is there sort of a, a power limit? Is there a, a 
is that is that usually just because that's a, a convenient place where you can put it and like you said it allows you to put the batteries down lower and everything or is there a practical point where the hub motors aren't that good anymore no well I, you know what's interesting is um there is more innovation coming in the motor world uh than there is in in maybe in battery world I shouldn't say maybe. There so is. more efficient motors. And yeah. And so um, the, the way motors are being, nah, it's, it's, you know, just, it's beyond just fine. You know, it's beyond small refinements in, uh, um, we're talking about radical changes of how they're made. Um, you know, axial flux motors, those kinds of things. The motors that are, that are, that are being developed are, are really, really different. And, because of that, the efficiencies are going to get high. The durability is going to go through the roof. The cost is going to come down. It's going to require, you know, major shift in how they're manufactured. So that'll take a little while uh, for volume. But basically, motors are going to change a lot. Um, you know, and, and I don't know what's going to, you know, in the battery world, we'll see what happens. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what's going to go on there but i like i like hot motors i like simplicity i hate the complexity of stuff i mean you know when they have um you know the motor if the motor just drives the wheel that's wonderful there's no you know gear reduction sprockets there's no drive belt there's no chain you know there's no parts to replace i mean one of the wonderful things about electric vehicles is how many less parts they have than an internal combustion vehicle you know i've built so many for so many years, you know, when you do a bill of materials, you know, or you set up an assembly line, you just start laughing. <laughs> you, know, you start with an assembly line that built, you know, the 1190 RX, right? That built a, you know, double overhead cam, four valve, you know, two cylinder, six speed transmission, blah, 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 you know, super bike kind of thing. And then you got an assembly line to build the flow. And it's just absurd. <laughs> Why, why did I ever do these? <laughs> Sorry. Like, oh my God. You know, it's like there's, you know, as many parts in the two cylinder heads as there are in the entire motor, electric motorcycle, if you're efficient about it. And uh, um, anyhow, it's, it's fun. So I don't know what's all going to shake out. I have my thoughts and opinions, uh, but I think what you're going to see in the long run is all some. As, as electric stuff starts becoming really, really mainstream and has to compete on cost and has to, you know, not be a niche fun, you know, early adopter product or I'm green product, but it has to compete for every day. The ones that are going to win are the ones that give you the most value as a user for your dollar um, and are the most profitable for a company. And that's going to be, they're going to be very different than they are now. Um, you know, the whole idea of just replacing a motor, gas motor with a, you know, an electric motor and then replace the batteries, uh, the gas tank with a battery pack just is not going to be viable because there's so many better ways of doing it. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I haven't even thought of them at all. You know, I've, I have some good ideas that I think are pretty good, but, you know, fundamentally, it's just, just, you know, there's going to be radical changes come that work. Yeah. There'll also be radical things that are invented that are stupid, but they'll be thinned out. The things that are succeed going to succeed are going to be different. Yeah, I was gonna say like the. I think I think deep down that's what bothered people about the the Harley electric bike. They just replaced a gas motor 
with an electric motor and just replace the gas with battery. That's it. That there's really nothing else special about it other than it's electric and it says Harley Davidson on the side. That's, you know, that rather right. than focus on how it fits into someone's life, they focused on, you know, putting a little vibrator under the seats to give you haptic feedback or whatever. They, they just focused on the wrong things, you know, and, um, and as complex and everything as some of the zeros are, when when you when you write a zero, you're kind of like, oh, I get it. This is this is for a different thing, but I I understand where this works in the world. Yep, and and I think that's that's you know what's going to happen. I think the designs are going to be you know are going to be different. What happened with batteries are going to be cool. I you know in my opinion with batteries, a lot of the reasons I'm using you know the uh, classic you know cylindrical cells. You know the twenty one seven hundreds, the evolution of the eighteen six fifties is partly because they're available, and secondly, is they're going to be recyclable, um, uh, which is part of the reason I think Elon's stuck with them because he can put them into power walls uh, and into energy storage devices like the ones he put in Australia. He's a pretty brilliant guy. Uh, <laughs> I I am a fan. <laughs> He's crazy, and and I know people get all wound up about him and it's a love hate thing, but as a as a making wise technical engineering decisions. He's really freaking good. Um, <laughs> and, well, you know, he may get beaten in the long run by GM because they have so much money and got money games, play so many walls. But, man, the shit he's done really, you know, I look at all and I see how it glues together. And I go, oh, God, that's really fucking smart. Well, my, my, <laughs> my father's in the early stages of, like, getting, uh, you know, um, solar panels on the roof and all this stuff. And he was like, well, I could buy, like, a power wall. He's like, but, you know, if the car is parked inside the garage 90% of its time, I guess now you can just use your Tesla itself as the power wall and some power will go back and forth between the car and the house, right? Uh, is there, I don't know, do you think that's feasible with a bike as well? Well, you won't have as much storage capacity because bikes can't carry enough battery to, you know, store a ton of energy. Um, so, you know, a car, if you have a Tesla, it's got a pretty good sized battery pack, a lot of kilowatt hours and growing all the time. But that kind of gets you on a bike. So, yeah, I mean, yes, you could store a little bit of energy on a bike. But I kind of want that to drive on. So <laughs> also, when you were talking about the uh, the leasing of the battery, um, you know, it's like, uh, well, my dad also, you know, he has a, you know, he's got one battery pack that powers, you know, the the you know the the mower and the leaf yeah. blower and the tr the hedge trimmer and all of that. Is there kind of a, I don't know, maybe a a future where you have batteries that you know power, you know. Um, What's that? What's the, what's the scooter with the battery split up swigs? Is that the Gogoro? Yeah, yeah. I, I, have you seen the Gogoro scooter, Eric? Yeah, yeah. You're right. I, I I I know that concept. I'm not a fan of it. Oh, and, okay. But I'm sure some of it will happen. The whole idea of swapping battery packs to me is like swapping gas tanks. It's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you, these things are sitting around, and how how they who takes care of them, who doesn't. Maybe if it's all owned by one company or something, it could work. But it just doesn't make sense to me. Because when the voltage gets high, you can charge fast. So my thoughts were not were, were basically just to make sure that battery packs didn't wind up a landfill and just saying, as a corporation building the vehicles, maybe we can own the batteries from 
you know, make sure they get a full use of their life, you know, stretch the their value as possible um, and make sure they get, you know, recycled at the end and in the best possible way. Um, but fundamentally, I think I'm a more of a believer in charging rather than swap battery swapping. Um, and I could go into it. It's just a basic, you know, first principles, simple things, and it just lay out everything and you go, I don't know, that's a lot of complexity. Um, Would it make sense and, to just have something like um, something similar to like the core charge you have on batteries nowadays? And just encourage people to return them to some distributor who will recycle them? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Um, uh, you know, that's part of the idea of the lease pack thing. And then, you know, it's kind of what it is, is you, you get it, you know, we wind up making sure they get taken care of and recycled, you know, but one of the things about, you know, the battery packs and being able to do innovation with them, think about them in the long run, you know, one of the things just thinking about those battery, you know, the swappable battery packs um, is you get trapped in a form factor and if things change, what do you do then? Um, and I think that's, you know, then the whole vehicle needs redesigned and you've got to get, have all these companies get along and agree with the same thing. Sorry, I'll, I'll get off that bandwagon because it may succeed. Maybe it's the right thing. I don't. I don't think so, but I've been known to be wrong. Well, what's important so is just, that someone's giving a, a really honest go at doing something different. It'll fail, or you know, or, or it'll work. But at least it's yeah, it's something. Um, uh, back to kind of like the the design of these vehicles. There's as we get more and more electric bikes in in the in, you know going on. There's electric bikes are able to kind of break free of ex like uh, um, pre expectations in the design, right? Everyone talks about how the, the metric cruisers just copied Harley's look, right? And people were only going to buy bikes for a while if they had a certain look, but there's something very freeing about electric bikes because there's no preconceived notion of what they should be. So there's all these opportunities to kind of fix some issues we had with fundamental design of bikes before. And uh, one of our, our listeners, friend of the show, John Del Vecchio, is going to pee his pants when I ask you about this. Um, we did an episode with him talking about um, you know crash safety of bikes, which is very minimal, but there are some things to consider. So like the slope of the tank, right? You know, I'm looking at the flow here and it kind of, it looks like, you know, you, if, if you hit something, you'll kind of slide up it. The tank itself isn't going to like destroy your pelvis. It looks like you're not going to get hung up on the handlebars here. And it seems like with more storage space and everything in these electric bikes and just the electric nature of them all over, uh, airbags like Goldwings have seems like something that's a lot easier to incorporate, you don't have to tack something on or make it look weird or displace something else in order to put it into the bike. Um, and then also there's the issue of airbag vests. And the biggest problem airbag vests have is, well, you got to charge them and they've got, they're expensive because you got to have this little computer brain that works it. If there was some sort of industry standard where you could plug your airbag vest 
into the bike right in front of you, right? And then so the bike was the brain for the airbag vest, right? And this is th this is a huge thing. Like, I just got my girlfriend to start riding on the back of the bike because I was like, hey, I've got this Helite air vest. This is the safest thing you can possibly wear, right? She's a nurse, so she's like, I don't know about this at first. I'm like, but look at this airbag vest. And she goes, okay, I'll try it. Like, it, that's not something to ignore. It. I don't know. Would you see huge blocks, like huge barriers to everyone be able to just like agree on a, on a simple plug and software protocol and everyone, you know, Alpine stars and Dainese and, and whoever else could just start making these vests that would just across the industry, you could just plug yeah. into the freaking bike. You know, honestly, uh, it might be, it might be easier and more cost-effective to come up with the brains in the vest than to negotiate the agreements between all the different companies in the world. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I mean, no, I get. Come up I, here we're understanding about lugs, and you know. Yeah. I, no, I understand, but I'm just saying that I don't know. That's it's an interesting question, um, and it's an important one. And it's I candidly, that's a thing that you know. If it, if it started happening, I'd be interested in it. The biggest thing that, you know, I'm working on, focusing on from safety and, and just because you have to pick your battles, um, not that that's not an important one, is trying to avoid the crash in the first place. And, and you know, I, that I think is going to, you know, we can really make inroads there. Um, and beyond that, you know, maybe this is a good solution. I had a you know, there's a lot of things that I'd like to do from a safety perspective. Um, and I'm not going to go into them because some of them are on the vehicle and some of there are things that could be done. There's just not enough time to do all this stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, in a lifetime. <laughs> and I'm kind of, if I could, you know, finish out my career getting the stuff done that I want to get done, I think it will make a big you know, big difference. There's, but there's plenty more for other people to do. And again, to your point, you know, with the opening up of the world of electric and the world of connectivity and talking to each other, B2B, you know, uh, V2X, all of a sudden, man, things are going to be different. Um, and, and I really believe that it's going to be led by small group companies, you know, and, and it's kind of, Again, to go back to Elon, you know, um, you know, why did you know why is Elon led the world into into electric cars um, when you know General Motors and you know Ford and everybody else and Honda have all piddled around with the electric cars forever and ever, and um, it's because big companies have too many things going on, you know. Too many departments, too many concerns, too much legacy, too much this, too much, too much. You know, what you need is a lean company led, you know, at a rocket pace by, you know, an inventive leader like that. And all of a sudden, you know, all these barriers that were so insurmountable just disappear. Um, and that's, I think that's probably going to happen in the, you know, in, in the motorcycle world. I may not be that person, but I'm just saying, you know, where these things are going to come. I hope I am or I'm part of one of them. But, you know, fundamentally, I, I, that's really where the change is going to happen. It's not going to be, you know, led by, by Harley and it's not going to be led by Yamaha um, or any of them because they have 
too much past business and too much complexity of how to do everything. Um, so, you know, it's going to be fun to see. Um, the neat mix that, that we have when I think we could be really successful and, and is I love innovation. I'm obsessed with it. But I also got decades of history. And so I got, I know what not to do. And that's a big advantage that I hope to be able to use, you know, like I said, to finish out my career. Because I look at stuff that people are doing and I go, that's kind of cool, except, oh, shit, you know, you you forgot about this or clearly you don't know about that. It's like, ah, you know, that's not going to work in the long run. Um, because, you know, you have people who have a lot of passion and excitement, but they've never designed a motorcycle before. And they don't know. Uh, the things that you can't do. And it's blending, you know, breaking traditional rules with remembering the ones that, you know, the physics rules or the government regulatory rules or whatever else, many things that are out there that you can't, the rules you can't break. All right. You, you got a question, Spigs? Um, Yeah. Yeah, kind of going back a little bit to, you know, talking about, like, leasing the batteries and stuff. Um, there is kind of this trend, and this isn't just, this isn't really a motorcycle thing. This is something that's really, and not just an EV thing, but something that's really kind of just kind of been happening in the automotive and the technology world is really just, you know, kind of, not simply just like how hard it is to repair and keep things working, but also just the way that like software is being used to make that more difficult. Uh, I kind of feel like that I do have like a big hesitation with kind of the way things are going where it doesn't have to be this way, but at some point an MBA gets involved and, somebody says the word recurring revenue and <laughs> and planned obsolescence and all of a sudden everything turns awful. Um, it, if it kind of feels like there's a lot of weird stuff happening and it seems to happen a, a lot around electric vehicles. And, and as much as I love like Tesla, they, they do start to do some weird things. Like, I think it was on the Model 3, they had, you know, every Model 3 comes with rear, you know, heated seats. But they're not, you have to actually pay for an over-the-air update to turn them on. Then you get into this weird situation where you're now, it's not that you just have a car that doesn't have rear heated seats, but you have a car that has them that, that are turned off, but perpetually the car is now under this license that is enforced by the vehicle keeping them shut off and it turns into all these weird sort of ownership issues like how much of the car do you own if you sell mm -hmm. that car to somebody else and you paid for the rear heated seats do they like sign up and create a new account and they don't get the heated seats like do you not have the equity of owning those heated seats and it all kind of sounds a little bit silly but it, this kind of like just kind of keeps snowballing until it turns out like you you don't really own nearly as much of your vehicle or your your piece of technology as you actually think you do um 
I, I kind of feel like this is something that we need to push back on a little bit. And I'm wondering, you know, how does, what, what's your experience of that been, you know, from the business side? Well, you know, it's just, I think people are always trying to figure out, you know, a way to make, you know, profits or whatever. And uh, this whole thing of being connected has, you know, opened up a bunch of opportunities. Um, some people want this. Some people say, hey, you know, I hate the whole idea of owning most of this stuff. I just want a monthly payment. And if it changes, I want to be able to be flexible. I want it to be like my phone plan. So I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. Um but I think, you know, if it gets out of control, it can be changed unless it gets in the hands of the government. And then it, then God knows how it gets changed. But as long as it's private companies who are doing it, if it starts getting goofy, somebody will put a, you know, uh, you know, there'll be some kind of a motion to make that change. Um, and, you know, that's that happens in corporations. You know, they're, you know, sometimes they're not as moral as they should be. And that's partly usually because it's just a whole bunch of people trying to do something, you know, that that's going to be good for their own personal career inside a company. And they're not backing off to look at the picture. I don't think they're bad people. I think it just happens. Yeah. Once in a while they are, but anyhow, uh, in general, it's just <laughs> not thinking the whole thing through because companies get departmentalized. And, uh, and uh, so I, I, you raise a good point, and I, like I said, it's it's gonna it's gonna be raised. People are gonna ask the questions. You know, there'll be furor about it, and way too much drama. And then sometime it'll change, and maybe it won't. You know, but it it's because it the point does need to be raised. It's like you know, what do I own? I don't know. Am I okay with that? Who is okay with it? Do I have the choice? Well, then I like that. The answer is you have the choice. And then it's good, you know, because. If I'd like to own this, that's cool. If I'd like to lease it, that's cool too. Different people, you know, if person X wants this and person Y wants that, that's good. I don't like one solution for everybody. Okay. I, I kind of want to bring this almost full circle because we were talking about a little bit about racing earlier. I, I think a component that's a little bit overlooked right now is electric racing. I mean, we've got Moto E and we've got Formula E. And they're all right, but I think the problem with them is it's not a bike that's really in people's hands. So it's kind of it, – it, it's, it's an odd thing to conceptualize. Uh, there, it's just prototype racing, which is great, but it doesn't – I don't know. It's, it's not quite right. And – you know, racing isn't as popular in the in the U.S. right now as it has been in the past, obviously. But worldwide, racing and motorcycle racing and scooter racing is still a big deal. And part of selling units is going to be like, hey, I, I can buy a thing that at least looks like that, that this famous rider is going fast on. What... What do you see being good in electric racing? Like, what's going to play to the strengths? I was thinking, like, um, well, I, well, uh, Pikes Peak proved that electric is amazing for hill climbs. Um, 
I mean, we're not, they're not running bikes at Pikes Peak anymore, but even like the old school, yeah. like dirt hill climbs where they just, you know, put a gigantic swing arm and a paddle wheel on a 450 and just go up an almost vertical hill. Um, you know, electric's probably really good for that, especially if you got like two wheel drive or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Being a racer, uh, do you, I don't know. What would, what would be really fun in, uh, in electric racing, do you think? Well, <laughs> racing is always in general fun, uh, but you know it needs to be somewhere where it makes sense, um, and and the races will need to be short. Uh, you know, especially if the seeds of speeds are high, they need to be pretty damn short, um, and and you need to have a big turnout, which is going to take some time. So I think you know I think it'll you know I think it'll 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 follow as you know more and more e-bikes you know come out. It's pretty far from, you know, what I want to do uh, just because much as I love racing, that's not where my focus is, you know, with fuel business at all. Um, and, um, you know, I, you know, there hasn't been a, uh, there hasn't been a race bike that looks like a, uh, <clears throat> a super cub for a long time. And yet they still sell 50 million of them a year. So. Well, they do um, race super cubs in like in Southeast Asia though. That's the crazy thing. I mean, they, they do like race like one, two, five scooters and stuff like that. We don't hear about <laughs> it here, but they do because it's, it's what people are familiar with and they want to see what they're riding, you know, kind of raced. That's, you know, like, yeah, they, they well then, the, you know, it's going to have to be a different kind of race because that's what fundamentally boils down to is you just can't right. go very far if you're going fast. Now, some kind of a little urban race, uh, uh, that would help, you know, where the speeds are held down. That's why they have Formula E races in the cities. So, because if they go out to the real racetracks, they can only make, you know, two laps and the batteries are dead. But you right. could put a little tiny racetrack with short, you know, where the speeds never get high, you know, in New York City or in Paris or wherever. And, you know, you got a great audience and there's no noise and stink, so nobody complains. And, and yet it, it plays to the strengths of, of those vehicles. But again, they were talking about a car which can do, which has much more ability to handle the weaknesses of batteries than motorcycles do. So Pikes Peak, you're dead nuts, right? That would be a perfect event um, for, for an e-vehicle, uh, for sure. So they're going to need to be short. You know, short motos with motocross bikes could have worked. Uh, I, yeah, I was thinking Supercross yeah, works pretty like, well for that model. Yep. Something like that could be cool. You know, again, those bikes don't look very much like, you know, street bikes. So, you know, you, you will get some kind of racing with the other ones, but you know, racing, racing will, will happen. People will do it. Um, and, um, you know, they're doing racing E mountain bikes now and it's having special events that are, you know, mixed in with the regular mountain bikes. Um, so that'll probably spill over into, you know, into that more of that kind of stuff. You know, in a way, we're kind of the question's kind of being asked the wrong way around, because people don't make vehicles didn't make vehicles to race. We made practical vehicles, and then somebody decided that that would be appropriate to race. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's what will happen. Yes. <laughs> so, what modifications is someone going to make to a flow to race it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know what they should be, but I'm not telling. (laughs) (laughs) uh, 
Okay, cool. Um, well, hmm. I there are there are a couple other questions I wanted to ask. Um, uh, uh, do, 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 do. So, um, kind of about uh, uh, past bikes that you've built. Um, uh, we, we've got a friend, Mike, who who might be your biggest fan. He's got he's got he's got a couple Buells and loves the heck out of them. He's uh, right now in the the middle of um, he's got he's got a, an, an XB nine. Our uh, fire, um, whatchamacallit, uh, yeah. f- uh, that he's, he's got completely taken apart and he's, he's, um, completely restoring that. And he's got a, a Ulysses that he, that he loves the heck out of. And, um, uh, what, what of all those bikes was, was your favorite or is your favorite today? Whew. I don't know. We build a lot of really good bikes. They're, you know, I, I, I'm proud of a lot of the things we did. I don't own very many right now. I have a Ulysses and then I have two EBRs. The only Buell I left left is a Ulysses. The one I let go, the last, the second to last Buell that I owned was an XP9 uh, R uh, Firebolt. Um, but, you know, they were all cool. Um, there were a lot of bikes that should have been built or some which were close to being built that never got built. That makes me crazy that they didn't get built. But I don't know that I have a, you know, I don't know that I have a favorite. I, you know, you know, I like all of them. Some of them are, you know, a little more finicky than other. You know, the two frame bikes are a little <clears throat> less, a little more hands on than the XBs because uh, they were earlier in the stage. And the Harley motors were still a little, we hadn't had enough chance to redo the motor. So they had more motor issues and, and also more issues on the chassis just to keep them going, but that doesn't mean they're not cool. And the people who own them and like to work on them, you know, are hands-on guys and they just love because they are simpler, but they were all cool. Um, you know, um, you know, from the first S ones, you know, all the way up through the 1190 RSs and stuff, we built a lot of, a lot of great bikes. It's a, you know, it's a shame. We're still not, those aren't that they aren't still, still being built. Um, um, that, you know, both of those, that, you know, there were a lot of bikes that have, didn't, could didn't have somebody, on. uh, like buy the, all the, the leftover parts and they were making them like one off or something like that a couple of years ago. Didn't I hear something like that? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a guy who bought the, you know, the, the liquidators, bought you know, the EBR stuff, the Buell stuff. No, that just kind of went with Harley. Oh, right. the EBR. Well, he got the brand name. He bought the same guy owns EBR, got the brand name, but he doesn't have any of the Buell, Buell products right. or toolings or anything and couldn't get the engines. But he's doing some EBRs, very small numbers. Right. So if uh, you want, you can uh, still get in like an 1190, right? I don't know how. I don't know how you about get, get one or how long it takes or anything. I know they're very limited production, but, you know, if you wanted one, I guess you can get one. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, I have always keep, wanted you know, one. Talk I'm sure them. it's absurdly expensive. <laughs> They're probably expensive now. So the ones I kept, I have an 1190SX and I have an 1190RS and then I have my Ulysses. Um, those are the three bikes. I, and I had a pretty cool collection, but I, I sold it all to fund the fuel stuff. Because <clears throat> like I said, I'm not a collector. I'm not a vintage guy. As much as I love those bikes and looked at them. And there were some cool shit. There was some, you know, stuff that was never produced. Um, prototype stuff and pre-production stuff that almost made it to production and stuff. I had a really cool collection. Some guy in Wisconsin owns it now, bought all of it from me. But I needed the money to do fuel, and uh, 
I think I think Back one of my past. favorites was the um, uh, the the CR with just those those insane radiator shrouds. I don't know why, but I just love the heck out of those crazy radiator shroud like uh, on the sides of the uh, the CR. I th- I thought that bike was just absolutely bonkers. I loved it. It was a fun bike for sure. <laughs> um, okay, um, let's see. I don't know. You got you got anything else, Swigs? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not at the moment. Well, I guess uh, one last question. Uh, our friend Mike that 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 uh, is rebuilding that XP nine has the Ulysses. Um, he's uh. He he wanted to be here to talk to you so badly, and he's like, "Oh, I had like one question I wanted to ask him." And and uh, I guess it's kind of probably a good note to sort all this up. He was he was saying like, "Well, you know, fifteen years ago, people were talking about like hydrogen fuel cells and 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 all sorts of stuff, and and electric was just sort of one of the alternatives to gas, and now everyone has sort of de facto gone." to electric is there really like any other option like is did, did all that stuff just completely filter out is it you know is there wow that's an interesting question uh, you know what winds up happening with a lot of stuff is you know what gets starts getting adopted and getting adopted in more volume you know and being supported by infrastructure and being supported by governments and supported by financial community and stuff. So um, again, from the perspective of, you know, internal combustion, I think we need to be, you know, for everyday use, it'd be really nice if people use the electric. So people who had a, you know, vintage, you know, fuel could get gasoline for it right around. Uh, so I think we've been way wasteful with, with gasoline. So I'm glad that, that there are changes coming. Could hydrogen fuel cells do it? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but they don't seem to be the rage. I know there are a couple of the Japanese companies still fighting for those. I think Toyota is playing with them and, and Honda. But it, it's hard to fight the trend. And the answer is, okay, I don't have to fight all the other battles. This is a good trend. This is a pretty good one what we're on now. Um, you know, batteries involved. One of the things I'd love to see happen with batteries is get away from lithium and get away from that kind of stuff. And I know there's companies working on using stuff that has less uh you know, materials that are, that are, you know, less rare um, and, and less politically, you know, you know geopolitically vulnerable. Um, but in general, batteries, electricity can be, you know, could work, but, you know, somewhere, something to use in the long range run to be, um, it's going to work. And, you know, like hydrogen fuel cells, it's kind of like a battery. <laughs> it's just a different way of doing it. It produces electricity. Um. Okay, cool. So, um, we we you you mentioned uh, uh, in there the the bikes that you have now. Uh, there's a, there's a few questions that you know we we have to ask you that we ask everybody uh, here, and some of them you know are the there's the 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 first question we got to get out the way is the question everyone has to be asked when they go on a motorcycle podcast. What was your first bike and what are you riding now? Well, I guess we know what you're riding now, but what was your first bike? First bike I ever owned was a uh, Perilla moped. Hmm, I'm not familiar with that. What, 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 
What kind of, uh, I mean, it was a moped, but like, was it two stroke, four stroke? What, what was it? Uh, yeah, it was a 90 CC. Okay. Uh, bizarre little moped. Um, I finally found some pictures online. People are saying nothing different. I don't think anything like that ever existed, but I did find it. But now I can't remember you know, what, the, what the model was, but they did make a few of them. And then uh, the second bike I found after that was a basket case Harley. Uh, uh, it was a 57 motor with a 52 frame, you know, hardtail, cage, K front end, pan head. Mm horrible but anyhow I, I bought it as a basket case and put it together and made lots of noise with it and i just found got a beat, picture of the 49 cc perilla this is weird but cool all right sorry the harley yeah <laughs> so you know since that was my second bike early bike i i learned real quickly that it's that was not the bike for me so uh okay um, I moved to sport. I moved to sport bikes after that, but those were my first two bikes. Pretty radical difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just your history with Harley Davidson, you know. And I'm just imagining you <laughs> riding around on a panhead. Well, yeah. The you the the thought of you on the panhead and the thought of you driving an RV, like these are these are the two most unlikely vehicles for anyone to imagine Eric Buell operating. <laughs> 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 Oh man, um, yeah. Uh, so so yeah. Some more questions, and I you know, like I said, we don't we don't want to um, dig up nonsense. We don't need to talk about you know you having fights with Steve Shivey at Harley. Um, so uh, um, what was um, <laughs> I should let you know? Actually, we we did interview. We have interviewed Steve Shivey on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and like there's some behind the scenes talk. It was really funny. But anyway, um so um uh, but, but, but the other question is um so this is the big one. Do you think you might be a different person when you're on the motorcycle? Ah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, maybe. Um Yeah. Um it, it's a, I, I'm, I'm a pretty happy person when I'm on a motorcycle. Um, uh, when I can ride it, like I want to. <laughs> so if I could get somewhere out on back roads where there's nobody around, just me and it's nice twisty roads, I could ride for six hours and I'll come off a completely, uh, uh relaxed and super happy place. Um, and uh, I don't think I, I like I, 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 I don't cruise on a motorcycle. I don't think about other things. I like to focus on riding and forget everything except riding. And so I think that, you know, changes me. Usually I'm just all over the place. I'm, you know, I, I you know, I probably would have an, an IV of Adderall or something when I was a kid. If, if they diagnosed for back then, I'm very ADHD. That's the truth. I am. Uh, so, uh, but motorcycle, and that's probably one of the reasons I love racing on it is I could focus because you have to focus. Otherwise you're going to die. You know? So just that whole thing of just being focused and in the moment where your body is integrated, you know, with you is pretty good. Bicycling hard and fast is, can be almost like that. I'm just not strong enough to do that as long as I can ride a motorcycle. <laughs> 
if I were Peter Sagan, I could probably, you know, the, the whole day, you know, of course, those guys who are racing, they've got so much strategy going on in the end and working with other teams. And it's probably a different thing. But motorcycling to me is a very solo thing. Um, that's how I like it. Okay. And then the, uh, the last question is, um, is what was the most significant ride you ever took? <laughs> well, probably the most significant ride I ever took uh, was a race at Charlotte where I got hurt wildly badly. And that was a, the, that happening and the things that came out of that changed my life. But that's a long story. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, let's see. I don't know, this feels like a like a pretty. I mean, I I could go on all night talking to you about bike stuff, Eric. But this seems like a kind of a, a natural ending point, I think. So, um, yeah. I mean, basically, this has been a little slice of heaven talking to you. This has been really, really fun. And thank you so much for validating so many of my thoughts on the future of electric bikes. Because you know, I've thought about this stuff. Well, we've both thought about this stuff pretty deep and come to these conclusions. And we've we've repeated them enough on the show that it feels true to us. But to have a real industry expert like you validate us is, I mean, we're gonna have the big egos for a long time <laughs> but hey maybe occasionally we oh, do have funny. worthwhile oh, content no, on this show um, seriously it was really fun for me to talk to you guys and hear excellent you guys who are talking to so many people out there and you know immersed in the industry in a very different way than mine where you get exposed to a lot more stuff you know i'm kind of in a, a focused thing and interesting to see that you know that widespread feed of information that you guys live in has led you to pretty similar places where I am. So it's kind of, it's validating for me. It's like, sometimes I go, am I the crazy person up here in Wisconsin? I'm thinking all this shit. But uh, no, that was very fun. And I'm sure you guys won't be, will stay pretty humble. <laughs> as far as Swinky's concerned, all we have to do is say Vince Gill and he'll go, oh yeah, I'm humble. No, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> All right. Well, then, um, here, let's uh, run the outro here and remind everybody, as we always say, stay safe, stay Oh, did you lose us? Well, I don't know. Regardless here, we got to run the outro, so let's remind everyone to stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting the dragon. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my moat. Are you there at all, Eric? Uh, he's disconnected. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>